So today, and for uh, this Sunday and next, we're going to take a break from Colossians and talk about practices. Uh, there was a season a little while ago where we actually were taking a break from our regular biblical teaching to talk about spiritual practices, and we had a season of that, and it's been a while, and so we want to step back into it today. The idea is this, Jesus, when he finished giving us the, what is called the Sermon on the Mount, a very lengthy teaching that really... Uh, renovated what it meant to be the people of God. He really redefined. He said, you've heard it said this. This is the teaching of the Old Covenant. But I say to you, and then he shared the teachings of the New Covenant, and it was just a radically new set of teachings. At the end of it, he says these words, don't be foolish, but put these things into practice. Put these things into practice. And it's certainly easy with the volume of wisdom and beauty and stories that there are in the scriptures to spend a ton of time just coming to know, coming to understand and discuss all that is there. But there's this clear call to practice what we are taught as well. So that's a little bit of what we're going to do today and next Sunday as well, to talk about practices that apply to obeying the scriptures and fulfilling what Jesus Christ intends for us. So today, we're going to focus specifically on the practice of Lent. We just had a good season of practicing Advent. I would say the best that we have had as a church. We gave it the most attention that we ever had. And I think it bore some good fruit. I think in our families, in our households, and in our church. And, you know, what are the great two Christian holidays? Christmas and Easter, yeah. Some people call it Creaster. And some people are called Christer, Christer church attenders, those that come to church on Christmas and Easter. So that's not us, it's just a fun fact. But yes, Easter is the second great Christian holiday, and it's continued to be so throughout church history. One of the pieces of Easter that we have uh, lost, especially among Protestants, is this piece called Lent. So I want to give you a little bit of history uh, so that we're up on that. So we're going to talk about Lent. Uh, what is this? And that's the question I'll be talking about for a little while here. So historically in the church, Advent and Lent have been seasons of preparation for the climactic celebration of the holidays of Christmas and Easter. So Christmas, uh, I grew up, and it, kind of the tradition of a Protestant and especially a Baptist is Christmas was kind of one day. And the build-up to it was presents and decoration and things like that. And so you can tell in that story that we, that's not what Advent was intended to be. Advent had a much longer ramp. So I want to compare Advent and Lent a little bit to give you an idea, since we know what Advent is. So you remember that Advent is a season of how many days? Thank you. Good job. 25 days. 25 days of anticipation of the actual climactic holidays of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Lent is a season of 45 days, 45 days, so a little bit longer. Okay, a lot longer, you're right. <laughs> Thanks, Elliot. Uh, traditionally, the themes of Advent are what? Remember those four themes that we taught on? I know everybody always remembers three, but as a group, we should probably be able to remember all four. Hope, love, joy. Good job and peace. Absolutely. Those we celebrate as the four great gifts that Jesus came to give to mankind. The idea being that apart from God, that's not how we tend to live and what we tend to produce. And so Jesus came to give us those things. 
The theme of Lent could be described in a lot of different ways. I think a couple of good words are reconciliation and restoration. So uh, Lent is a season where we remember how things were before Jesus came, how broken uh, we are, how broken our world is. Uh, the history of the Bible, of the Old Testament, shows us so much of the brokenness, the division, the violence, and the downward spiral that we are in as humans apart from God. And I think we experience that nationally, we experience that individually, that apart from the intervention of Jesus Christ, things tend to go in the wrong direction. Uh, Advent has been practiced um, as far back as around 600 AD in just a few remote places uh, around civilization. It wasn't until about 1360 under Pope Urban when it really was adopted as a global practice to practice Advent. So uh, in some senses, that's kind of a new practice. Uh, Lent actually goes much further back. Uh, Lent was actually practiced initially by the apostles that we have in the New Testament. So probably during the time of, of the book of Acts, Lent was already in practice. It was already there. It was formalized um, during the Council of Nicaea. Anybody heard of the Council of Nicaea before? A lot happened at that council. I think it was probably the best council in church history. What else happened at the Council of Nicaea? That's right. The great Nicene Creed was written, which was just kind of a statement after all of the uh, processing of Scripture and listening to the Holy Spirit, it was an attempt to put into writing the things we truly believe in kind of a systematic, covenantal way. The Scriptures as well were basically ratified, and the canon was decided upon at the uh, Council of Nicaea as well. So it was very significant. At that same council, this holiday season of Lent was established. Two more things I'd like to say about it, and these are just generalizations as you think of how to characterize Advent and Lent. Advent, in some ways, is a holiday really for children. It's for teaching children, for leading children into an understanding of Jesus and why he came and why he's coming again. And so many of the activities that we do are very child-focused. They're just fun, right? Pulling a little ornament off of the calendar and hanging it on the tree or pulling out, you know, opening the little doors in the 25 boxes and taking out chocolate. I know, that's kind of for adults too. At least Sherry and I would definitely do the chocolate thing. Why didn't we do that this year? Tricia, I want the chocolate thing next year for Advent. Thank you. All right. Definitely for children. Uh, Lent, on the other hand, is really for adults. Um, there's some gravity to Lent. Uh, in fact, it's interesting to note that in all of the practices of the early church, they said these practices are actually for people between the ages of 21 and 59. Uh, fasting and lament and penance, all of that. It was recognized that, hey, those aren't really things we want to, you know, children aren't quite ready for. There's still some innocence there. There's still, you know, we don't want to drag them too quickly into the, uh, the darkness of humanity, right? And so it's really something for adults to, to grab a hold of. It's not that we wouldn't include children, but we want to temper what we do in light of protecting the beauty and the simplicity of our kids, even into their youth. But when it comes to adults, there's definitely a healthy need for this idea. So another way we could characterize Lent is it's really a season of 45 days of humility. Uh, as you think about things that you may associate with practicing Lent, they're around humility. They're around abstaining and giving up and saying, I'm going to stop being quite so self-indulgent and slow down for this season 
and just kind of be humble and remember my frailty, remember my smallness, remember how much I need God. So that's kind of the spirit of it. Uh, the church historically used this season for a few things. One was baptism. So this recognition of um, the Passion Week and the death, burial, resurrection, and enthronement of Jesus Christ. That's really the holiday we're looking forward to celebrating. And notice that with both Advent and Lent, we are celebrating things that already happened. So during Advent, we were celebrating the coming of a Christ who already came, the coming of a baby who has since become an adult and the king of the universe. But we're also celebrating the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, uh, Lent is a revisitation of a process that most of us have already entered into following Jesus and receiving the power and the healing and the forgiveness of his death, his burial and his resurrection and his enthronement. Uh, the church also used it. There was a time in the practice of the church where part of church discipline, if someone was um, struggling with a particularly difficult sin and hurting lots of people and they didn't really repent of it, the church would no longer offer communion to that person, kind of to say, while you're behaving this way, you're actually not really in fellowship with the church, with Jesus and with his people, and so you, you won't be allowed to take communion during this season. And then Lent was used as a time to restore that person. So it was a place to say, hey, um, discipline is not forever. It's only for a season as necessary, and we want to restore you to the fellowship. And so that also happened. And then you might be familiar with the practice of the beginning of Lent known as Ash Wednesday. Anybody ever experienced Ash Wednesday at all? Kevin? Yeah, yeah, we talked about it last year. And that's, again, a recognition of death. Um, just as Advent is a celebration of birth, human birth, uh, um, Lent is a celebration of death and then resurrection, but death and then resurrection. So that's what Ash Wednesday is all about. It's about burning the palm leaves and creating ashes, and then those ashes are put on your forehead as a mark of the cross, essentially to say, I'm initiating you into this season of lament and humility and minimalness. And so that's, what, that's how that works. Now, if you actually have been doing the math as I've been talking, if it starts on... February 17th this year, if that's Ash Wednesday, and it's a 45-day holiday, then the math doesn't work. We're missing six days, I believe. Those six days are Sundays, and so the, uh, the practice is to take a break from the lament and to celebrate on Sundays. And so whatever fasting was done, whatever spiritual disciplines were practiced during the week, those were relaxed on Sundays. So Sunday really became a celebration, kind of anticipation of Easter Sunday, which is the climax of the entire season. So here's why we would practice this. Um, many times spiritual disciplines have been initiated by the church, but over time they diminish. And think about holidays, how holidays diminish in their power. Thanksgiving was a holiday when a large community of people wanted to express gratitude for God for a tremendous new world and how he brought them through it, and it's been diminished to Turkey Day. So that's a huge diminishment, right? Christmas, in some ways, began as a tremendous celebration of the fact that a divine spiritual God became a person to come and connect with us and to heal us and save us. And it's diminished in some ways for a lot of families outside of Christ to presence and Santa Claus. So we have this human tendency to, to um, 
kind of see this degradation of holidays or this reduction in holidays. And so what we need to get back to is the purpose. I think when the purpose isn't well communicated throughout the practice, we start to ask, why are we doing this? This is a lot of work. There's a lot of activity here, and I don't know why. I don't remember why. And if that's true, then it would make sense that we would reduce. But I would say that actually the better plan is to get back to the why. Why would we do that? And if we can reclaim the why, if we can reclaim the purpose and the reason, then we would have reason to re-engage that discipline or that spiritual practice. It's kind of like this. As good habits for eating and exercise train and condition our bodies, so also uh, spiritual disciplines train and condition our hearts and our souls and our spirits. And wouldn't it seem important if we are truly people who believe in the importance of the spirit, that we are like God more in our spirits than in our bodies, that we would want to equally give effort to eating well and exercising well within our hearts and our souls and our minds. So that's what this is a part of. This, in a way, it's almost like a boot camp that we go through once a year. Just as you might spring clean your house, think of spring cleaning your spirit. Like, I'm going to go back through, and I'm going to pick up the, the balls that I dropped, and I'm going to grab the priorities that I had that have slipped from me, and I want to really you know, take another run at it for a fresh year celebrating Easter. Uh, for me, one example of this is fasting. For a, a long time, I tried to fast. fast seem, fasting seems to be something that's important because the scriptures talk about it a lot. And I did it, and I did it with others, and it was not good. It was really hard, and I never could figure out why we were doing it. The whole focus was on not eating. And so all we would talk about while we were fasting about is what, what we were not eating and how hard it was. And I thought, this can't be the point. We don't not eat so that we can commiserate. Like, is, is that the goal? Like, let's not eat so we can complain about it. Let's not eat so we can talk about what I'm going to eat when I can eat again. Like, and that's exactly what we were doing. And surely that's not the point. That's not why you fast. But as I have persevered and pushed through and continued to practice, personally, I found two things that really are becoming true for me now when I fast. One is for me, fasting is saying to my appetite, I'm going to take you away from what comforts me and give you to what is truly important to me. I'm going to transfer my appetite for food to my appetite for Jesus. I'm going to transfer my appetite for food and bodily strength to food and spiritual strength. And it's just, it's not that you can't do both. You can and should do both. But so often it's easy to focus on and get engaged heavily in the, the care of my body while neglecting my spirit. So it's just a season for me of saying, I'm transferring my appetite from food to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. So when I feel the hunger pains, I just have this practice of saying, God, I need you. God, I need you. I feel it. I feel it. And it's just, it's a training of my mind. The other thing for me is I do find over an extended time of fasting that I actually transfer my need for fuel from food to the Holy Spirit. And I've found that when I, when I need it, when I set aside food for a season, I am much more in tune with the Holy Spirit I tend to stay consistently in the place that I want to be in my heart and mind, which is really healthy. And so for me, for instance, there was a season when every Sunday morning I would not eat anything until this gathering was over because I truly had more strength in the spirit and I had a clearer mind in the spirit. 
And man, that was super useful. I did have an extended fast once for about three weeks, and there was such a tremendous experience of the Holy Spirit and that dependence that there was this odd temptation to not eat again. <laughs> like, like, if this is the result of fasting, is to lay hold of the Holy Spirit so much more, like, wow, that's awesome. But God was generous to show me, hey, that, that doesn't work that way. This, you got you to gotta stop. <laughs> if your body quits working, then we can't do anything. So we need you to keep going. So that's how fasting worked for me. So I want to go back just briefly through the traditional practices of the church to tell you what it could be like to practice Lent. So, yeah, go ahead and advance the slide there, Olivia. Um, Let's actually go one more now to how to practice Lent. Again, here's how it was done traditionally. so Lent began traditionally 45 days. Now, I, I want to say one thing here. I, I know some can say, well, this was the Catholic Church, but actually it would be more accurate to say this was the church for 1,500 years. So the Protestant Church has only been around for 500 plus years. We were one church for 1,500 years before that. So I really want to help you as I needed help uh, because I struggled with this idea of, hey, that's Catholic. That's evil, that's not good. And that really is an oversimplification of the truth. The Catholic Church was the church for the first you know, 15 centuries. And so this is our history as well as what someone might call Catholic history. So 45 days uh, of fasting, of humility, excluding Sundays. The reason for the choice of the number is uh, it's actually 40 days of fasting, a full 45 days with those Sundays off, or 46. 40 days of fasting. What does 40 days of fasting remind you of? Yeah, Jesus being led into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. Remember in the book of Mark, Mark records, and Mark was recording because he actually knew Peter. So he was kind of a, he was the recorder of the story of Peter. And he records that after Jesus was baptized, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be, and you could say, tempted or tested. Maybe a better word for us in our language would be to be trained by the devil. So 40 days of training. Picture this as Jesus' spiritual boot camp for his deployment as the Messiah. He had lived his life and grown up physically, spiritually, emotionally, and socially for 30 years. It was time to essentially go public with who he was, And so he goes through, at the leading of the Holy Spirit, this 40 days of training where he could really uh, strengthen his own resolve to be a follower of the Holy Spirit and to do the will of God. So that's why the 40 days. Uh, So throughout history, Lent has been practiced in so many different ways. Some of those are prayer, uh, denying our body certain things, food, pleasure, uh, repentance from especially gross or chronic sin, fasting from food, and giving has actually traditionally been a a huge heart of Lent as well. One historian characterized it this way. Uh, He said he saw Lent as a season of justice and justice towards God uh, in, in prayer and in getting right with God, justice towards myself in my fasting and my Uh, humility, and then justice towards others by being a giver, really a season to make things right again, an annual season to just say, how am I doing? Checking all of my accounts, my account with God. Are we good? 
Is there anything that chronically has gotten in the way? An account with myself. Am I leading myself well? Or have I kind of dropped the ball and am I getting lazy? And how am I doing in relationship to my community, to my family, to my neighborhood? And assessing that and asking God to help me. And then in that to bring to health whatever is not in health. So this is all the, the purpose of, um, of Lent. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about history of it. Just my own history went kind of like this. As a Protestant and as a Baptist kid, uh, Lent for me was nothing in the beginning. There was just Easter. And preparing for Easter, as I remember, it required two things. Three, candy, eggs with dye, and a new set of clothes. And that's how you got ready for Easter, right? Am I right? Anybody else in that boat? Yeah, this is how I get ready for Easter. Yeah, as I got a little bit older, I discovered something called the sunrise service. And I don't know why, but our youth was totally into the sunrise service. Like we could go somewhere without mom and dad. We got up before they did. And those of us that had our driver's licenses could drive. And this is so nerdy, but it's just a reality. And we really got into sunrise services because it was our thing. You know, it wasn't the church's thing. It was as a youth group, it was our thing. And so we started doing sunrise. But that, that extended Easter beyond the afternoon and dinner and egg hunting. Then a little while later, I, I learned about Good Friday and the fullness of what that meant. And then Monday, Thursday. And then I started to understand the Passion Week. And you can see Easter just grew and it grew and it grew and it got all the way to the Passion Week. So now I'm up to seven days and I'm ready to take the leap to 45. <laughs> So this is the, the growth, the evolution of a, of a Protestant experience of Easter. I thought it might be good to share also a Catholic experience of Easter. And actually, Corinne Haining, uh, who's a part of our church, is at home today on Zoom. And I've asked her to briefly share her story about Lent as well. So we're going to make a transition to get her front and center. She should be on. All right, are you ready for me? Thanks, Rick. Um, in my story of growing up Catholic, Ash Wednesday always marked the beginning of Lent with ashes placed on our forehead in the shape of a cross, symbolizing reflection of sin and death and sacrifice or dying to self. Um, just, as Advent bring, as, just as Advent brings a spirit of waiting and anticipation and hope, Lent brings a spirit of solemnity, fasting, and repentance in those 45 days leading up to Holy Week and Easter. And since we don't have, you know, I, at least um, in recent years, there aren't as many um, songs that help kind of capture this for us. Um, you know, there's still a lot of Catholic hymns in my mind from my formation. So I thought I would just share a little excerpt from one. <clears throat> we offer you our failures, we offer you attempts, the gifts not fully given, the dreams not fully dreamt, give our stumblings direction, give our visions wider view. An offering of ashes, an offering to you. My family also followed the practice of no meat on Fridays as a community. So my mom usually prepared some variation of fish as the main dish on Fridays. 
Um, I was never pressured to give up something for Lent, um, but in, always invited to consider it, particularly because I attended a Catholic school. So for me, um, that sometimes meant I'd, you know, maybe give up desserts for Lent, um, which actually felt like a big sacrifice because my birthday's in March. And so there were some birthdays that I opted for fruit salad instead of a cake. <laughs> um, and then I think there was one year in high school that I actually tried giving up not gossiping for all of Lent. So that was a big, big step. Um, some years I did, some years I didn't. Um, in the Catholic Church, Lent culminates with Holy Week. So Palm Sunday, everyone receives a palm. Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter. It's a week that's full of emotion, um, very celebratory at the beginning of the week with Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem and very sorrowful by the end. On Holy Thursday, a priest reenacts Jesus's washing of his disciples' feet, usually by washing um, 12 members from the church, which my family got to participate in one year. And then on Good Friday, the Passion is read using different excerpts from the Gospels to put together from the time of Jesus's Last Supper until his burial in the tomb. As a young adult, when I began to make when I began to make my faith my own, I moved away for a while from so much symbol and ceremony. But just as Rick was saying, um, in recent years, I find myself being drawn again to some of these certain practices, such as Advent and Lent. And um, so I really appreciate that our church family is moving in this direction. And I invite you to consider how this might look for you this year. Thank you, Brandon. So good. Yeah, and on the note there, I just want to say this about spiritual practices. We tend as Protestant churches uh, to engage our minds tremendously and often. <laughs> we write a ton of books and we preach a lot of sermons and we do a bunch of Bible study, which is fantastic because to grow as a Christian really requires a deepening of understanding and wisdom for sure. But in some ways, we really haven't done a great job of leading our heart and leading our body. And this is really what spiritual practices are about. They're about our hearts engaging. They're about our bodies engaging. Uh, <clears throat> Corinne talked about the sorrow and all the emotions of the Passion Week, and that's, that's what we want to engage in. And she also talked about all the things that she did with her body. And this is really what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul, as well as your mind, and as well as your strength. And so we want to move into some of these practices to engage our whole selves. They also create tremendous memories for us um, because of what we go through as we experience them. So this we chose to use today to say all of this to you because we are 10 days out from the beginning of Lent. So the encouragement to you, the ask is of you, is to decide together as a household and also as an individual would you like to practice Lent this year, and in what way? Would you like to practice Lent in some way, and in what way? And we as a staff will be doing this and probably sharing a little bit of our own journey. We welcome you to do the same. Two pitfalls, two ditches on each side of the road of spiritual practices. There's two ways you can fall off. One of them is that you can make practices like a new law a new set of commandments, and you can feel like, I know I'm a good Christian if I can pull these off. 
And I know that God will be pleased with me if I can do these things. And I want to rescue you from that entire way of thinking. I know it's very human and it's very old covenant, but it is not new covenant thinking. So we are, this is not about being good or not good. This is not about being a level two or level three Christian because we go deeper. None of that is necessary in Christ. We have all that we need in Christ. So this isn't about qualifying or performing or obeying rules at all. So don't fall into the ditch on that side of the road. The ditch on the other side of the road is the ditch of purposelessness and just empty practice. And I think that's where a lot of things get. If you just said, yeah, I'm going to give up Facebook just randomly. And if you did that and you didn't tie it into any purposeful reason, I would say don't do that. If you can say purposefully, you know, I want to hear other voices and there's a lot of voices in Facebook I don't want to listen to during this season of humility, then, then I'll set that aside. So the other ditch is just empty actions. Um, I'm going to give up uh, reading blue books this, this Lent. Like, you know, yeah, something easy to do. So don't go there. So where should we go? Uh, just a few ideas, and I'd be happy to share with you more, but the best thing is you can Google it. You can Google Lent. You can Google spiritual practices and find some great ideas. But generally, fasting is involved. And again, you're going to do this for 45 days, so do something sustainable. So it might be fasting once a day or even once a week from one meal. The key to this not being just a practice alone is what will you do during the meal that you fast? What will you use that time for? And what will you use that abstinence for? And typically with fasting, it's a time to pray. And so I'm saying, hey, instead of this, I'm going to do this. I'm going to spend some time in prayer. I'm going to allow the things that I feel, the yearning I feel for food, to be a yearning I want to feel for the Holy Spirit. That would be one way to go. If you are a family that has yet to really read the scriptures daily, and a year has always been just too ominous, maybe you choose the season of Lent just to go through the scriptures together as a family daily for a few minutes. I would recommend if you want to do that, that you take one of the Gospels and just cut the chapters in half and read roughly half a chapter every day through the season of Lent. And that way, as you get into the Passion Week, you'll be reading the Passion Scriptures and you together as a family can really you know, step into the story and walk toward Easter in the same way Jesus did, just reviewing his life. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe as a household or as a couple, you said, I'm embarrassed to say it, but my spouse and I actually don't pray together very well. We've always wanted to, and it's been a struggle. Well, maybe during Lent you say, hey, let's just set aside a time to train ourselves and practice, and we'll just commit to pray together for five minutes every night before we go to bed. So just consider a way that you would like to grow a way that you would like to train yourself, your body, your mind, your heart during this season, and let this together for us prepare us for this tremendous climax of a celebration of Easter.